Hey, we're in this series, it's called A Life That Matters. Boy, Tiffany really shows us what a, a life looks like that matters. I think about uh, families that are welcoming children into their home. What better investment of your resources uh, than, than to partner with organizations like Arisma to, to welcome uh, children into your home? So it's a, great, it's a great way for us to think about this call that all Christ's disciples have. To not invest your life in things that will ultimately pass away, but to invest your life in things that matter and to live a life that matters. And so we're looking at a few episodes from the life of Jesus and, and just asking ourselves what it, what it looks like for us to make those kinds of investments that matter for eternity. Um, we're going to be in Mark chapter 13 today. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn there. And, and we're going to read uh, this story of this interaction that Jesus has with his disciples but I want to take you to a, um, a moment for, for Lauren, and I want to take you to um, an experience that we had in 2018 in December. So it's been three years ago. We had the chance to go to Israel and to go on a, a pilgrimage to the Holy Land. And on this pilgrimage, uh, we were able to visit uh, the places that Jesus walked and the places that Jesus taught and the things that Jesus did. It was incredible. People say that visiting the Holy Land is like the fifth gospel. It, it, it just opens your mind uh, to understanding the gospel uh, in ways that, that maybe you were, were previously inaccessible to you. So there we were in the Holy Land, and of course you have to visit Jerusalem. I'm going to show you this aerial picture of the temple complex or the temple mount. And this is in the center of the old city, or everything in the old city of Jerusalem is built around this. This is the, the focal point. Uh, of the old city. And I show you this today uh, to try to help you understand what a massive piece of geography this is. This, is, this, this platform that was built, this temple complex, it was, it was originally built by Herod. Uh, well, it was originally built you know, a long time ago in the Old Testament, but then Herod the Great in the first century uh, expands it and builds these walls. And, and so this footprint that you're looking at is the exact footprint, or it's the exact space that Jesus would have inhabited as he went up to the temple and as he delivered teachings and as he went in and out of the temple courts. It is this footprint. And it is massive. It is large. It is impressive. And, and one of the things that, if you're there walking around it, uh, one of the things that you are overwhelmed by, first of all, is the size of it just the, the size of it and, and how impressive it is, the architecture, to think that it's been there uh, since the first century is, is pretty amazing. But there's this, uh, there's, there's this other thing that happens when you're at the temple complex. You are overwhelmed with this sense of history. You're overwhelmed with this sense of the sacredness of this space. There are three major monotheistic religions, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. And all three of them attribute certain reverence to this space. Now, in case you're keeping score at home, that's five billion people on planet Earth. Five billion people adhere to one of those three religions. And all five billion are saying, this is a really special place. Think about Christianity. Everything in the Apostles' Creed, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, buried, risen again. This like core part of the Apostles' Creed, yeah, it all happened right there, within about a half a mile radius of that spot you were just looking at. So it's certainly significant for us, 
It's significant for uh, Muslims because there at the Dome of the Rock, that shrine you see there, that was built to commemorate what Muslims believe as, as Muhammad ascending into heaven. And so it's very special for them. And then here I'm taking you to the Western Wall. And here at the Western Wall is a place that's incredibly special for, for Jews. This is the, the part of the old city, the, the city of Jerusalem. It's quartered up into about four different uh, segments. Each of them are controlled by different um, ethnic groups. And so in this quarter of the city, this is, this is where uh, Jews have control of the city. And, and there is this wall, which is part of the temple wall. And it is the place that Jews believe is the closest to where the original temple was. And so when they go to the Western Wall, when they touch it, that is the closest that they could be to, to the original spot where the, the temple was. And it's also where they believe the, the new temple will be rebuilt. And so it's an incredibly special place. One of the things uh, everyone is invited to do is to, you can take a piece of paper and you can write a prayer. And you can fold it up and you can go to the wall and you can slip that piece of paper in between the cracks of the rocks and you can spend some time there and you can pray. And I've had the chance to do that. And, and when you're doing that, you feel the incredible weight of five billion people on planet Earth saying this is sacred space. This place matters and it matters a lot. And so I tell you all that and I show you that so that you can understand what you're about to read in Mark chapter 13. So let's go there. <coughs> Excuse me. As Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what, what magnificent buildings. Do you see all these great buildings, replied Jesus? Not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, so tell us, okay, if not one stone is going to be left on top of the other, tell us when will these things happen? This is a big deal. We want to know. What's the sign that they are about to be fulfilled? Verse 5, Jesus said to them, watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name claiming I am he. And will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginning of birth pains. These are the beginning of the birth pains. So let's go again to the temple. So here is the teaching steps. And I, I show it to you to say this is the spot most likely where uh, the disciples would have been coming in and out of the temple. And uh, this is where they would have kind of been wandering around, looking up at the wall. And they would have said, wow, Jesus, look at this temple. Look at these stones. Look at this architecture. Isn't this amazing? Isn't this impressive, Jesus? Isn't it awesome that we get to go in and out of this temple and we get to worship here? And if, we're, if we really want to understand what's going on in the life of the disciples, I, I, I have an idea 
So what we know about their perspective on Jesus, I mean, they believed he was the Messiah, but they had a certain idea of what Messiah was going to be like. In fact, I, had a, I have a feeling that when they commented on how impressive the temple structure was, in the back of their mind, they were thinking something like this. Okay, Jesus is the Messiah. We are Jesus' disciples. We're like the close inner circle that Jesus has. When Jesus fully reveals himself as the Messiah, and when he takes over this temple complex, and when he puts himself in charge, guess who's going to be right there with him? Yeah, me. James, John, Andrew, Peter. These guys, we're going to be there. We're going to be part of the cabinet. We're going to be part of the decision makers. We're just fishermen right now. We're just disenfranchised tax collectors right now. But in just a few short moments, whenever Jesus finally decides to reveal himself to everybody, and everybody buys into what we've already bought into, and they recognize that he's the Messiah, we're going to be in charge. And Jesus is, obviously, (laughs) as he does so often in the Gospels, wanting to correct that perspective. And so the, here's the disciples on the teaching steps looking at how impressive the buildings are, plotting how they're going to take over. And Jesus says, what you need to realize, not one stone is going to be left on top of the other. He speaks to this ambition that the disciples had, and he asked them a very important question, and it's an important question for us. Essentially what he's asking them is, where is your hope. I mean, where is your ultimate trust? What are you hoping in? What are you trusting in? We place our hope in a lot of different things, don't we? Can you imagine this teaching, this verse? Mark chapter 13, verse 2. Not one stone will be left on top of the other. Can you imagine this teaching in different contexts? For instance, in 1969, Do you know who the largest retailer in the world was? Sears Roebuck Corporation. Largest retailer in the world. And and how many of us have have spent hours looking at a Sears catalog, you know, thinking about what we would like to have for Christmas? I have. My kids won't have that opportunity. But I have just this very important institution in American life. It, it, It was a daily part of life for so many people. And in 1974, uh, the Sears Tower in Chicago was completed. At the time, it was the largest building, one of the largest buildings in the world. It housed the Sears corporate office. And can you imagine at the ribbon cutting of the Sears Tower in Chicago in 1974, um, you know, sometimes it's customary for the Chamber of Commerce to have like a pastor show up and offer some kind of invocation or something like that. I don't know if they would have done that at the ribbon cutting for the Sears Tower. That's kind of how they do it here in Arkansas. But can you imagine at the ribbon cutting for the Sears Tower in 1974 as the largest retailer in the world begins to inhabit this impressive building that they've built? Can you imagine the pastor saying, hey, before I pray, I want to share some scripture with you. It's Mark chapter 13, verse 2. Not one stone will be left upon the other. I don't think that pastor would be anybody's favorite person in that moment, especially not the CEO of Sears. 
who would probably say something like, what are you talking about? We're the largest retailer in the world. We've got this massive building. What do you mean not one stone is going to be left on top of the other? We're the largest retailer in the world. Well, that was then. And what about now? I don't know if you knew this or not, but Sears has been replaced as the largest retailer in the world. You probably missed that. But they have. It was a, actually, it was a long time ago, and, and Sears is a, a shell of what it used to be. Where is your hope? Where, where is your hope? Not one stone will be left upon the other. My friend Matt, he pastors a church in Georgia, and uh, I saw on social media uh, last month that he had that his congressperson invited him to come to the House of Representatives and offer the invocation for the beginning of one of the sessions of Congress. And he had pictures of that, and it was, it was incredible that my friend Matt was there uh, in the House of Representatives offering the invocation. Um, very, very uh, cool honor uh, for him. And as I was looking at his pictures, I was reminded of my trips to Washington, D.C. I love it. I love walking down the National Mall. I love being at the base of the Washington Monument, and you see a lot of stones stacked on top of one another. And then you walk towards the Capitol, and between the Washington Monument and the Capitol is the World War II uh, monument uh, that just recently has become a fixture on the National Mall. If you haven't been there, you need to go there. You need to think about your father or your uh, grandfather or, or or your grandmother or your mother who would have served in World War II. Uh, it's, it's an incredible experience. And, and, and so it, it's, it's moving, it's emotional as you walk down the National Mall. And I remember moving from the World War II monument on down towards the Capitol and walking around the Capitol. And one of the things that you feel as you walk around the Capitol, as you, as you walk into the rotunda and you look up and you see all these fixtures of American life, you're overwhelmed with a sense of pride, you're overwhelmed with this just sense of, of, of just this larger-than-life institution. You, you're overwhelmed with the sense that, wow, I'm a part of something so much bigger than myself. And, and there's another a feeling that I had the last time I was in the rotunda of the Capitol. It was, a feeling of, it was a feeling of safety. It was a feeling of security. It was a feeling of, of wow, this is—I'm so thankful that I get to live in this country and participate in this— society and and we have these institutions that order and keep our democracy and and there was just this sense of pride and and security and and I, i don't know if i had those same emotions on epiphany of this last year i had much different emotions i began to to think about the things i put my hope in I began to think about the the things that seem impregnable to me. The things that seem like they would never pass away. The things that seem invincible are also vulnerable. There was a time where it was said of the British Empire, the sun never sets on the British Empire. But guess what? It does now. Think about the great empires of the world. The Ottoman Empire is no more. 
The Roman Empire is no more. Every great empire in history has a life cycle. And Jesus is saying of this first century institution, not one stone will be left upon the other. And if you are unsettled today by the thought that the American empire has a life cycle, now you are understanding the scandal of what Jesus says. Because Jesus says to those disciples, and it's recorded in our Bible, that this temple complex, this, this institution that was such a, a focal point of Jewish life, Jesus is saying it's passing away. There's something more that God is doing. Don't be impressed by these stones that are stacked on top of one another. Don't be impressed by this temple and this sacrificial system as a way to connect with God. God is doing something more. He's doing something new. No longer do we have to go to a priest and offer a lamb as a sacrifice for our sins. What Jesus would go on to demonstrate through his life is that I am the sacrifice for sins. My blood atones for your sins. And so not one stone is going to be left on top of the other. The temple is going to be obsolete and not necessary through my life, death, and resurrection, you will be connected to God and you will have a chance to, to live eternally through me. So where is your hope? Well, that was unsettling to the disciples as it is unsettling for us to think about maybe one day the American empire will be no more. It was incredibly unsettling. And so they ask a very important question. Well, when? Well, when is this going to happen? Tell us when. And it's another example of the disciples always asking the wrong questions. Because there's a sense that like, okay, if, if it's not this way, if, if, if it's not Jesus is going to take over and Jesus is going to be in charge of the temple and we're going to be kind of his inner circle. If that's not how it's going to go down, if it's going to go down some other way, well, Jesus, tell us when, because we want to be ready for that. We want to plot and we want to plan and we want to hedge our bets. And at what point do we need to transfer our hope? Because you're asking me to transfer my hope from this thing that I can see, this thing that I'm familiar with, to this spiritual reality made possible through your life, death, and resurrection. And I don't know if I can make that leap. And so tell me when. Give me a timeline. And I wonder if some way we, we do the same thing. Lord, the Lord is calling us to put all of our hope and our trust in Him. And how much of our life do we spend sort of hedging our bets? Lord, you don't want me to go all in on that, do you? See, the reality is God has given us resources and we hold them with open hands. We talked about that last week. Time, talent, treasure, your relational touch. These are things that God has given to you. And we, 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 put, we invest them in, in so many different institutions and so many different things that seem immutable to us. They seem like they would never pass away. And what God is saying is, is for a life that matters, a life that matters for eternity, 
You take those resources of your time, talent, treasure, and your touch, and you invest them in ways that matter for eternity. You invest these things in, in ways where your ultimate hope is. Our ultimate hope is in Jesus. And so we can spend this short amount of time we have on earth, and we can invest in things that ultimately are going to pass away. Or today, we can decide, I want to put my hope and my trust in Jesus. I, I want to take my resources, the things that God has given me, and I want to invest them for eternity in ways that, that matter. I'll share a little bit about what uh, my wife is doing right now. Um, I, I, shared, I shared with you last week that she has a, a trip to Rwanda and the Democratic Republic of the Congo coming up, and she's representing uh, an organization that we are very much a part of as a local church, is Nazarene Compassionate Ministries. And so Lauren landed in Rwanda on Wednesday, and uh, she began her work on Thursday, and, and part of her job is to go and to see different churches and what they're doing to extend compassion in very tangible ways. These churches throughout Rwanda and the Democratic Republic of the Congo, they've been given resources from our church, resources that you've invested, that you've given, and somehow they have found their way into the hands of these pastors of these churches uh, in, in these countries. And I want you to see what some of these churches are doing with what God has put into their hands. And so I want to introduce you to these kids here. This is um, at a child development center in the interior of Rwanda. Uh, these kids are gathered for school, and uh, they don't have access to traditional means of education, but there's a church of the Nazarene in the interior of Rwanda who saw a need in their community. Kids are not being educated. Kids do not have access to hot meals. What can we do? And so they began a child development center, and so these kids come to the church, and uh, they begin to learn some of the basic building blocks that they're going to need to go further in their education. And so these children are learning to read and write and do arithmetic for the first time at the local church of the Nazarene there in Rwanda. And, and they're doing so with resources that you've invested. As you have given to missions and as you, as you have sponsored children, some of you sponsor children, Maybe you do it through NCM or maybe you do it through another organization. But the model is the same across these organizations where, where sites like this one take those sponsorships and they use them to provide education and they use them to pay teachers and they use them to provide meals. Uh, and so this is the teacher of that school. Um, I don't know if she has any help. Uh, this was the only picture that Lauren sent to me. But this is the teacher and the pastor uh, of that church. I really hope she has some help with uh, that room full of kids uh, that, that you saw there. There's some teachers in the room here that are saying, yeah, yeah, she's going to need some help with that, with that room full of kids. Um, but here's the pastor and the teacher, and uh, Lauren was able to see what they do. But it's just a tremendous example of how God put resources in the hands of a, of a pastor and some people there in that, in that village, and, and they used it to, to build this school and, and to make a difference in the life of these kids. There's something else that NCM's doing that Lauren's got to see firsthand. By the way, I'm stealing all of her stories. You know, these are stories that she could be telling you, but I'm telling them to you in real time, okay? Um, and there's another church that said, you know, 
people in our village, they, they, they're barely making it. Uh, poverty is obviously higher there than it is here. And, and they said, what could we do to help resource the people that attend church here and help them uh, get out of poverty and help them to get into some kind of way of sustainable living? And so they said to, to the church, uh, they said, you know, if, if we could get resources to, to buy livestock, for some of the people in our church, they could tend that livestock and manage that livestock and sell the, the dairy products that come from that livestock, and they could begin to get um, out of poverty and to get into more sustainable ways of living. And so this church received a grant from NCM, and they begin to provide goats for people uh, in their church. And so this is Mama Stephanie. Uh, that's, that's the name that Lauren sent me. Um, and uh, Mama Stephanie, several years ago, received two goats, a male and a female. And she began a business in which she sold the milk from these goats in the market. Now, you know what happens when male and female goats get together? They have other goats. And so it was, it's funny how that happens, isn't it? Uh, it, uh, it, it wasn't long before she had seven or eight goats. And so she would sell those goats, and her friends and her neighbors then had goats, and they would also sell some of the dairy products. And Mama Stephanie eventually had so many goats, she was able to trade them for two cows, a male and a female cow. And uh, you know what happens when male and female cows get together? Uh, some of you do. You're cattle farmers. And she began to, to have calves. And before you know it, uh, what started out as two goats uh, became a small herd. And then she also has uh, some two, two cows that are producing milk and also producing calves. And uh, she's really, through the investment of the local church in that area, things are really changing for Mama Stephanie. Um, she, uh, she, her, her journey has, has, has been something like this. Before, before this investment, she was living in a, in a place with a dirt floor with no running water and no bathroom. And over the last few years, because of this investment of the local church, she's now living in a house with a concrete floor and running water and a bathroom, which is a really big deal in this place in Rwanda. How did that happen? Someone made an investment in eternity. Someone made an investment in things that matter for eternity. And so where is our hope? We can take our resources and we can invest them in all kinds of different things that ultimately will fade away. But I feel like the kinds of investments that I've just showed you there are things that matter for eternity. And so disciples of Jesus, followers of Jesus, as, as, you, as you work through this passage that, 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 that we have here, Jesus is going to go on to explain signs of, of his return. I mean, we're, there's going to come this moment where all of salvation history kind of culminates and, and Christ returns and, and God just brings to fruition all that he has been doing to redeem the world. You see all of that in Mark chapter 13, and it's, and it's pretty amazing stuff. But one of the things, if you're not careful, you can read it and you can be filled with fear. 
famine, wars, rumors of wars, all kinds of things are, are happening. But Jesus doesn't share this to fill us with fear. He shares this so that we properly place our hope in him. We're not people of fear. We are people of faith. And if we've taken our resources, if we've taken the things that God has given us, and if we've invested them in eternity, in things that matter, the famine will come, the rumor of war will come, the earthquake will come. All of that is not going to shake us because our hope is in God. Our hope and our trust is in God. And so as disciples, you know, it's easy for us to ask the question, when? When is this going to happen? Give me the details. What's going to happen? But if we can do anything today, let's do this. Let's ask the right question. And the right question is who? In who is our hope? Is in whom is our trust? It's in Jesus. Pastor Chad and the worship team read it. Let's visit it again. The writer of Hebrews says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. For he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let's think about people who are providing homes for foster children. Let's think about churches that are helping people get out of poverty. Let's think about churches that are starting schools for kids that don't have access to education. Let's spur one another on towards love and good deeds because our hope is in Christ. And let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But when we gather, both here and online, however you're gathering today, let's encourage one another. Let's encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day, in capital letters, the day, the day of Christ's return, as you see that day approaching, let's encourage one another. Let's not be filled with fear. Let's be filled with faith, knowing that our hope is anchored in the Lord. And so, friends, we're going to gather here around the Lord's table because it is here around the Lord's table that we rehearse the story of what Jesus has done for us. And we remember it again. And as our hearts are filled with gratitude for what God has done in Christ, we realize that, wow, we've been given so much. We're thankful for all that God has given to us. And we recognize that, that just as God held his one and only son with open hands and freely gave his one and only son with open hands, we too are called to live that way. We too are called to live in such a way that our hope is in God and what he has done in Christ to forgive us, to redeem us, and to fill us with his spirit.